Welcome to Group Function, where the ProTru Serrati work together to find good solutions to worthy problems in dentistry with your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, Petrusarati. I'm Jazz Galati, and welcome to this group function where we answer one burning question. Today's burning question has been sent in by someone. It is regarding endodontics. Is single point obturation good enough? What I mean by that is you prepare, you chemomechanically prepare your canal, and now when you come to the obturation stage, you just stick one of those fat master GP cones in there, potentially a matching size to a rotary file you just used, and then you just fill up the rest with the sealer. Is that good enough? See? I think this is what GDPs all over the world are doing. We're not doing warm vertical compaction. We can be doing cold lateral compaction as a whole, but a lot of times you stick the fat GP cone in and it fits well enough and there's not enough space to, for cold lateral compaction. So is this technique of obturation up to the mark? So that's what we're gonna find out today from, from Amar Al-Hurani, who's a specialist endodontist. And we're gonna jump straight away. Just one thing to say is um, the splint course is now just under two weeks away. I'm looking to launch it March 12th. It's the first time I'm revealing this. So March 12th, it should be uh, launching online. This splint course is 100% online. It's packed full of videos. Like my Reservoir Bridge course, I thought I'm really proud of it. It's got loads of rave reviews, but it lacked video. So I took that several notches further with the splint course. And you're basically like, watching me, like you're, you're like over the shoulder kind of training while I'm adjusting splints, while I'm going through the diagnostic process. It very much teaches you the very basis, basics of an anatomy as a GDP and building up to a diagnosis and how to choose which splint will help your patient the most. Sometimes we're looking just to use a protective splint, but also with that protective splint to protect your restorative work or prevent the patient from pathologically destroying their teeth, there's a bit of a decision-making tree as to which splint why and when and what are the risks of certain splints. So I'm gonna go through A to Z of that, including the delivery from a stabilization splint to AMPSERS, the, the whole lot in between. So I'm so excited to share that. If you're interested, why don't you download one of my flowcharts? I've got a free flowchart for you to download, which pretty much, even if you don't do the course, you're gonna find it valuable because it's gonna show you when I prescribe certain appliances. Now, uh, just a disclaimer, I made a flowchart and really it's a guide, but you should be deviating away from guide. Any sort of guideline, you should always be happy to deviate away from a guideline because there's no such thing as a cookie cutter approach to occlusion. So just read it with caution. It's there just to help my students of the course get an idea as a generalization. And if you don't understand anything on that, it's because it's very much there to accompany the course. But feel free to download it. You can access that on www.protrusive.co.uk forward slash flowchart. That's www.protrusive.co.uk forward slash flowchart. You can download that straight away. So let's join Amar Al-Hurani to answer the question, is single point obturation good enough? Hello everyone and welcome to this group function. Today we've got uh, Amar Al-Hurani. Okay, he's a specialist endodontist. He works two days a week uh, teaching undergraduates in uh, Plymouth. Uh, he's three days a week uh, in private practice in London uh, and he's part of the Endo Guys. And this episode is where we answer one burning question. And the burning question today, uh, th thanks to Amar's going to join us for this, is single point obturation. Okay, so I'm gonna spend just one minute here. I'm also gonna to check to make sure that we definitely are live. I'm gonna spend one minute, just set the scene about how this question came to be. And basically, when I was a student, we got taught endo in our endo clinics, uh, and we first, you know, we started with K files, then we moved on to sort of hand, um, sort of hand pro taper, actually, in dental school, and then we moved on to rotary eventually, which was, which was cool. But when initially we started cold lateral compaction with the like ISO uh, files and ISO GP points, uh, and then eventually we got taught how to use the, the, the matching GP cones or the pro taper. And when it filled that canal so beautifully, 
I realized actually there's not much space in there for the, your cold natural compaction. And then eventually what happens is that you, you accept some compromises in practice, you know, you want to be, you want to be quick. So eventually I had a GP cone with a lot of sealer around the edges. And if there was a bit of space, I try and jam in a, a little, you know, accessory point. So my first question, Amar is, okay, so thanks for joining me, Amar. First question is, as a GDP, let's, let's forget about bioceramic sealers for a moment. As a GDP, is that acceptable? That scenario I just described. Yeah, I mean, that's a scenario that's probably going all the way through the UK. I know I've got a lot of my own colleagues I work with that probably do the same thing with H+. I think let's take a step back. I think we just need to understand the fundamentals first about why we're doing what we're doing. Um, endodontics is relatively straightforward. Uh, you know, it's really broken down to three parts. Get the necrotic tissue out, create a taper in the canal and wash it, and then obturate. So obturation is the very last thing. Um, opening up, remove the decay, remove the leaking restoration, and then, you know, once you taper it, you're, the cleaning part is the most important element of the whole project, okay? Now, why do we obturate? What's the point of obturation? Obturation really just fills up your, your space that you've created. Once you've cleaned and you're happy with everything. Now, we obturate. The reason why we obturate is a number of reasons. You want to fill up the dead space. You want to uh, clog up the dental tubules from the bugs and you want to seal them all off so they can, you, can, they can you can suffocate them from nutrients. And then you want to stop any percolation of fluid back in from the apex or from the lateral canals, okay? Now, if you use GP, you know, we use GP and we use sealers for that traditionally, and we still do, okay? Nothing's really changed over the last 40, 50 years, really. Now, if you use GP on its own, the problem with it is it, if you used it as a warm vertical compaction technique, it will shrink by about 7%. And it doesn't really have a hermetic seal towards the dentine. So you're going to have a gap between the dentine and your... Uh, GP and that in itself forms a void and that void creates areas in which bacteria hasn't been suffocated You know, you can't entomb that bacteria and that's areas of biofilm that is going to regrow spore Release their you know their their toxins and they're gonna then affect the outcome. Okay, so then you have to produce something like a, a sealer Okay to prevent or close that gap now, the sealer does a few things for you. It's antimicrobial. It fills all the gaps it entombs the bacteria as much as possible or goes into the dentine tubules and it gets into the nooks and crannies that your, you know, your GP can't get into, okay? Don't forget, you're, you're preparing a circle within an ovoid, you know, and all we're trying to do is disinfect the canal as best as possible and reduce the bugs as, you know, to a point in which your body then starts to clean things up. You're not gonna sterilize the tooth, you're gonna just disinfect it, okay? Now, traditionally, the, the sealer that we use is tubular seal or more recently, AH+. The problem with tubular seal, which is encoxidugenol, the eugenol itself is quite an irritant. It goes through the apex. It's really uncomfortable. It's um, it sort of dissolves over time. It doesn't really have a good bond to, to your to your canals. And then if you want to put a post in there, you've got oil, and you can't really bond to it very very well. You know, the whole thing becomes an oily mess. Some people still use it. I, I I've not used it for a very long time. Probably since I was a GDP five six seven years ago. H plus came along. A nicer material, resin based sealer. You know, it's a bit thinner. It bonded a little bit better to the dentine, but it's still hydrophobic. It's a it's a resin. Um, it's antimicrobial, has got a nice high pH. The cytotoxicity was not as bad. Sorry? It's great on a radiograph, especially the new stuff, AH plus jet. It's like, uh, you know, it's like putting an IR core in a canal. Um, and then, you know, but the problem with it, again, if you used a warm vertical, you know, if you use GP, the single cone, add AH plus, AH plus itself as a resin shrinks by about 6.5%. So why am I talking about shrinkage? Why is shrinkage a big deal for me? Well, if you look at the Engetau studies, which came out a few years back, she talked about voids. Voids is an issue for us because that's areas within the root canal system. Don't forget, we go back to the original position, which is 
you're creating a circle with your file within an ovoid canal. So you've got areas which are not being touched by your file. And that's areas, therefore, which only the arrogant can to, and then hopefully your sealing material. And if your sealing material is shrinking, then that's areas where you can then have repopulation of the microorganisms, bacteria. And these are voids where things can regrow again and cause failure in the future. So is single cone with those materials a good idea? I'll go to the next point, which is, I think personally, as the, the most important element with both of these things is the irrigation and your coronal seal. If you've got a great- Amar, that's a given, okay? I, I, I'm, I'm gonna take control of it because that's a given, okay? So we have to have a clean canal. I, I'm totally with you, but I wanna really twist your arm here. I'm trying to really twist your arm and try and get uh, the, the answer in terms <laughs> of the, the GP cone, right? So so basically, Fine. but here, here's the situation. You mentioned about warm vertical compaction, but you know, most right. of the audience here, we're, we're GDPs, right? We're using right. cold lateral compaction, okay? And a right. lot of time, right. like, whether you can get an accessory point and extra, extra GP cones in, it depends on what kind of a canal you start out with, right? So that scenario where, you know, you, 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 you can't get another um, accessory point in there, but the, the GP cone, let's say an F2, F3, the pro taper system, and you get an F3 matching cone and you stick it in there, there's not enough space to put an accessory cone in there, but you still see that it's not as snug as you want in the coronal portion. So that all the tube you saw that you're using, whatever sealer AH plus is all around, Correct. okay? Correct. What should we do in that scenario with cold lateral compaction? Or is that pro taper system is not is not it wasn't it was never designed for cold natural? The well, the new matching systems have obviously been designed for the single cone technique in the sense that you want to use it as a warm vertical compaction technique. Okay, so you're cutting it back, you're getting that really nice tug back at the last five millimeters where the, you know, most file systems now are not a progressive taper, they're a variable taper. So the first four or five millimeters of the canal, you know, the apical part of the file is really what the GP is fitting into. And then the rest of it should be technically warm vertical compacted. But we don't have these materials. These are very expensive materials, they're technique sensitive. You're gonna put a lot of pressure on the route. So from that point of view, as long as you've got, in my opinion, a clean canal, dried well, you know, you don't have any fluid going back in there because you've got inflammation or inflammatory exudate, and you've got a really good coronal seal, I think you should be absolutely fine. I think it would be okay. Yes. Okay, okay. I'm so glad you said that. Uh, I, was, I was actually really worried uh, because you know, when, when I did that, I felt guilty, I have to say. No, it's, it's, it's not guilty, but the, you need to understand that there's still limitations from the sealer material. So the sealers haven't really truly been designed for this purpose. But as long as you've got a good coronal seal, if you've looked at Ray and Trope studies, if you've got a good coronal seal, even with a poor root canal treatment, it seemed to do fine. So maybe we're looking at the finer technicalities of things. And at the end of the day, let's be honest, let's be honest, we're always judging the, the outcome of a root canal treatment by the white line. And if the white line looks great, then we all assume everything's good on a two-dimensional x-ray. Don't forget, it's not, that's not from a three-dimensional point of view. So that's why I think the biocidamic sealers, in my opinion now, sort of take over. You know, I, I think they are the future because so, so they, I'm, I'm gonna come to the biostramic sealers. I wanna come to the biostramic I just wanna say at this so point, far. cause we've got uh, some people live right now. So I wanna encourage at this stage that if anyone's got any questions, send them over. Cause then, um, so Nicola, hi Nicola. Nicola's uh, based in Italy, he's saying hello. He's talking about biostramic hydraulic sealers, which you're gonna come on to now. So right. if anyone's got any questions, okay, you can send it here. We have had one question from Instagram already, uh, which we're gonna come on to uh, at the end. So in the first half of this group function, which we're doing amazingly for timing, you, you're really good there. You, 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 know, you really answered my question beautifully, Amar. Thank you so much. And I'm not just saying that because oh. you've given me the wink, wink, <laughs> right answer. Uh, but no, it makes you feel good that all those observations I did where I thought, you know, I don't have a warm vertical compaction system, 
I'm just cold natural compacting and there isn't much space, so I'm relying a lot on my sealer, but you're right, as long as the disinfection was good and the corona correct. seal, the Ray and Trope studies, yeah. 1985, I think it was, classic yeah, studies, correct. you probably know that the date better than I will, but um, right. th that's amazing. So now it, with the bio ceramic sealers, give us a flavor of what most endodontists you think are doing now with the bio ceramic sealers and how as G GDPs, we could implement that for our more simple endos. Okay, well, we have to understand the science of the biosceramic sealer. If you give you a few few minutes just to you know discuss that with your colleagues, some people don't really understand what a bias don't understand that we've not really gone into the technicalities of biosceramics. It's not something we've been taught. It's relatively, it's not new. It's been out since two thousand seven. Uh, but biosceramic sealers are really derivatives of MTA. MTA was obviously uh, you know discovered by Mahmoud Tarabajad quite a few years back. And we took some of the active materials from that. So the tricalcium silicate, dicalcium silicate, calcium phosphate. Okay, and they put that into a sealer. And the nice thing about that is that the, you know, if you look at all the studies from bi you know, with biceramics, it showed that it was uh, bi you know, a biactive. So it was osteoconductive in a sense, it created healing or it stimulated the bone to heal. Uh, it's a stable material, it doesn't shrink, it actually expands by 0.2%. So you, you know, it expanded. So therefore it was a stable material. It's hydrophilic, it actually bonds to dentine through uh, alkaline etching. It's a high pH of about 12.8, an initial setting, which is highly uh, antimicrobial, and it releases calcium hydroxide as a byproduct. So as a material, if you were to have asked me as a GDP many, many years ago, Amar, create me a sealer that would do everything for you, this is the closest we have to a sealer that sort of overcame all the limitations of the past. Don't forget, what we were doing before and the technique of obturation before was our technique was sort of being guided by the sealer that we had because we had limitations to the sealer. Now that sealer does, is, is actually pretty good. And the GP really only does one thing for us. It, it's a vehicle to push that sealer to where we want it within the zero two millimeters. That is what we're aiming for. Because if we do that, then that means we have clean to zero two millimeters. And that apical third is where we have most of the ramifications, the lateral canals, where we have most bugs that are difficult to clean, especially with you know big lesions. With vital cases, you can get away with it. With a non-vital case with a chronic apical periodontitis, you need to clean that area very, very well. So now I have a material that's really stable. It does everything I want. It stays where I want it to be. It sets nicely. But where's the problems with it? The problems with it is retreating it is going to be a nightmare, okay? Because it's attached well. Don't forget, we go back to the original thing. You've created a circle with an ovoid canal. That ovoid part on the sides, you're never going to really remove it 100%. And if you've not prepared it to the zero to two millimeters, it's going to make my life extremely difficult trying to get patency. If you look at some of the studies, patency was very, very difficult to re-ascertain because this material is rock solid. You can't dissolve it. You can't wick it out. You can't use chloroform on it. You can't use anything on it. You have to literally either drill it out or it's going to stay there because it has high affinity to well, the that, dentin. Well, that, that begs a really interesting question then. So we, we obviously know that um, a, a lot of endodontists that I know are using bioceramic sealers with a, a warm vertical compaction system with, with GP, obviously, uh, as a vehicle, as you say, you put it so nicely there. So, so that's great. So that's what endo guys are using. Uh, GDPs, what do you want us to use? Do you want us to use, like, imagine we've done everything to a high standard. We've used um, sodium hypochlorite, you know, 3% heated and whatever. We can go into in that whether it's necessary or not. We've used EDTA, 17%. We've done a, a good sort of um, chemo-mechanical cleaning. And then we come to obturation and we may not have warm vertical compaction, but we've got uh, a bioceramic sealer and we can squirt inside uh, or, or place inside a, a nicely fitting GP cone that's going to be snug in the apical few millimeters. Should we use the bioceramic sealer, which may make, a, make it difficult for you if, if you're going to see it for retreatment in the future? Or should we just stick to using the tube seals uh, and the AH pluses because of that scenario that we just discussed? 
ultimately, at the center of all, all of this discussion is the patient. Okay, so the patient really needs to get the best outcome out of all of this. If you are sure that you have located all the canals, you've gained patency, which improves your outcome by doubling it, you've done a really good uh, chemomechanical preparation, you've really cleaned that tooth well, you've done an EDTA rinse to remove the smear layer, and you're happy with your working length PA, and you know you're within zero to two millimeters, then go ahead and put your biceramic in there. I have no problem with that because it's not gonna be difficult for me. That GP is gonna act as a quasi glide path. I'm gonna get back in there and be able to get to the apical two millimeters. And the apical two millimeters is the most important element for me because that's what I need to, I need to clean that area very, very well. So if you have achieved all of these areas and you've ticked all those boxes, then by all means, go ahead and use biceramic sealant. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We've worked so hard on this Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. It's as simple as that. But if you That's think correct, you haven't... If you, if you, yeah, if you meet all those objectives, it's, you're probably not going to get to see it because it's probably going to be a success. It's going to be a success. It's going to be great. It's going to look great on an x-ray. It's going to be it's technique. You know, the technique sensitivity is nothing. It's easy to learn. It looks great on a PA. You're going to fist pump your nurse in the end of it. You're going to look like, you know, you're going to feel like a hero. And so why not use it? If it's there and you know it's going to do a great job and we know the science is really good behind it, use it. You know, but if you don't get to those points, then please don't, because that's when it's going to be very difficult for someone like myself or a dentist special interest or even other dentists to retreat that. And therefore, that might be pushing us towards surgery straight away rather than a retreat. And that's, you know, that makes it more difficult than you've sort of, for any root canal treatment, we need to remember one thing. If you do any treatment in dentistry, you need to always think about what am I going to do when it fails, not when it's going great. Always think about failure. What do I do next? If you think about it this way, it makes things a little bit easier to plan. And us endodontists are like that. We do the endo, but then I'm always thinking, if this fails, what am I going to do next? Am I going to do surgery or am I going to get back to do what I'm going to do? So I use biceramic sealers, but actually, uh, Jazz, you're going to be in surprised by this, not all endodontists use biceramic sealers. I would say it's still a 50-50 mix, okay? I like it because I like the science. I enjoy, I, I like what it does. It makes me feel, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit lazy. So I like it, you know? Whereas others like to make their life, you know, they want to use the H+, that's what they've been trained with. They, they like warm vertical compaction. They like it, you know, how it looks on a PA. They like the skill set involved with it. You know, different people like different things. But for me, it just works. It works in my hands and I'm getting really good outcomes. And that lesion that I've got is disappearing or getting smaller over time. So for me, it works, but will it work in the long run? You know, we just need to wait also for the long-term studies as well. We still have to wait. Well, I, I really like those answers. And I think you, you summed it up very nicely as a closing summary of this segment, if you like, is that as a GDP, now this is as a GDP perspective based on what I've just learned from you. If, you're, if everything's going well, use the bioceramic sealer, use GP, give your nurse a fist bump, as you said. But if you have any doubts that the, the root canal, which you're approaching from you know, the, the best intentions, and maybe you just feel that you know, one or two elements are, are not, you, know, you're, you haven't got patency, uh, but it's not bad enough that you want to refer it or you need to refer it, because now you're sort of 
you've invested into that root canal, right? Maybe in that scenario, you should be using the Tubicil or the AH Plus or whatever to make a potential retreatment easier. Do you think that's a fair way to put it? Yeah, fair analysis, because even, even then, you know, don't forget the coronal part, we're going to, you know, most dentists are going to probably flare with the gate slithering, so it's going to be overly flared a little bit. So you're going to have enough space to still, put a, you know, a few accessory cones and give yourself some good lateral compaction. So I think it's fair to say, yeah, if you think you've cleaned it very well, but you just can't get to the very, don't forget, patency is still one of those things. It's a debatable concept. You know, some people uh, think, you know, some scholars believe in it and some scholars still don't, you know, some of the big scholars still don't push for it, you know? So as long as you're but within zero to two But we all have that gut feeling, Omar, you... right? At GDPs, we all have that gut feeling that, okay, Correct. we know that this is going to be going well. So I, I think, I, I like it. Let's leave it at that, that gut feeling and then base your sealer on that. Right. But then let's not get into the fact that bioceramic sealers are expensive. So it's there, use it, that kind of stuff. But I think you've covered it really well, Omar, about um, is single point obturation acceptable? So I think you've given, I... you've, you've done this group function justice. I... So in the, in, the, in the latter bit now, we're going to take some questions because I have got some questions. So we'll take that I one just from Instagram. One last thing, right? if you don't, yep, go on. Please, please go for One me. last thing. I, I, what I'm trying to say is that the obturation part is just one element of the whole thing. If everything's been done well, it's just one element. You can't put down your whole success or survival of a tooth or things going well on the obturation. It's all about everything else fitting together. So there's a lot of elements and you can't ever do a study to say it's definitely the obturation system or the sealer is what caused the whole thing to work. So if you've got a dirty canal and a poor coronal seal, no matter what you're going to put in there, it's just not going to work. It's eventually going to come and blow up. You don't put rubber down, you've got you know, saliva leaking in there, it's not going to work, you know? And it's just common sense. As long as you've, got a really, you've done a really good job, if you operate it relatively well, you should get a good outcome. Your body really heals very, very well. You know, the healing potential of the body is phenomenal. And you've seen a lot of terrible root canal treatments, I'm sure, that are still surviving 10, 15 years down the line, if not longer. So it just shows you that as long as we reduce in, the, the bottom line is reduce enough bacteria in that canal and tilt the, the balance towards your body and your body will clean up everything up, hopefully. Okay. Amar, has anyone ever told you that as you get as you get more passionate, you become more Scottish? I just thought I'd let you know in case anyone <laughs> ha ha hasn't told you that. Possibly, <laughs> possibly. So, Jean <laughs> so, Marco, Jean, thanks so much for tuning in, buddy. He's asking, uh, can I ask about restoration of the pulp chamber? Is it better to place GIC barrier or can we directly etch and bond over the orifice before placing a composite core? And then the second part of that question, um, Amar, is who should place the core restoration, the GDP or the endodontist? So the first part was um, restoring on the pulp chamber over your GP, GIC barrier versus composite. Uh, and then the second one was who should be doing the, the, the core? Okay, so um, first thing, first question, I think the most important thing is that you need to cut back the, the GP to, to the CEJ. Don't leave it hanging in the pulp chamber because if your coronal seal starts to leak, that's going to leak very, very quickly. So make sure that at least you've cut it to the CEJ, okay? First and foremost. Secondly, two schools of thought really here. Some people like the, 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 the GIC because there's been some leakage studies that showed that if the filling came out, it gave you about 30 days worth of protection against saliva. Others, you know, are saying put the composite straight away. The likelihood, of, if you've got a really nice MOD or MO or occlusal restoration, the likelihood of that composite popping off just in one piece and just leaving the GIC is highly unlikely. Okay, so I think if you can get, you can cut the GP to the to the to the CEJ, get your, you know, clean the pulp chamber really well, make sure it's nice and clean, etch it and bond it, should be absolutely fine. That's not a problem. You don't have to have the GIC. I like putting GIC because I'm. I've read the books and I just feel happier and more warmer inside me that it's I've done a better job. But am I doing a better job? I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's the reality. I'm probably costing the principal more money. Um, second question you were saying about who does the core. I personally think if the, you know, the, the, the patient's already in the chair, 
uh, you know, they've taken time off. Just get the, you know, put the core in there. I've got the rubber dam on. How long is, how long is going to put, you know, I use SDR or, or bulk fill. It's going to take me how long? 10 minutes, maybe five minutes. It's saving the patient another appointment, another journey, more time off. And then I think the dentist is going to be a bit annoyed if I put GIC in there. Drilling out GIC is a bloody nightmare. You know that. There's more than anyone else. So why not just leave us do everything for you? And then you just, you take the, the glory shot. Get the crown on there. It looks all nice. People remember you for having a nice... Uh, a nice crown and and, and and that's it you know just so make your life easy make our life easy you know i 100% agree with you uh, on on both counts with the composite and with the with the fact that whoever does the root canal just do the core at the same time and and with good good bonding protocols um two two more questions now one is um one is my question actually which is uh, what's your secret to getting a lovely clean looking uh sort of pulp chamber so once you've done your obturation quite often i look at it and it's a mess you see these three orange heads uh, and then you see all this like white sealer mess and uh, debris yep. and stuff like that so what's i mean i do aerobraid and then try and clean it but it never looks as good as you endo guys um like it's almost glistening and shiny like as if you guys have got like baby oil on it like what do you, what do you guys use <laughs> Uh, so first thing, um, I use an LN burr just to really clean, you know, literally cut the GP point to the CEJ. Secondly, if I'm using H+, I use alcohol, rub alcohol, ethanol, isopropyl alcohol will dissolve the whole thing out. That gives you Any a really percentage? nice clean surface. Just No, not percentage. You could just buy it from QED. I don't know what percentage it is. Isopropyl alcohol, alcohol's alcohol, probably 100% or 70%. Uh, that'll dissolve everything out. Ultrasonic tip is really good. Just the Cavitron on your 3-in-1, just you know, use that. Just give it a really good rinse and a clean. And then just that acid etch, really, really brush your bond onto the canals, you know, and on the floor, on the walls. Brushing is the most important bit, not just a little bit of a dot here and there and everywhere. Literally brush it till it's glistening. Then like Hura, it glistens, it shines back at you and then you know everything's well. And then that's when you, you go for it. That's it. There's and no with the bond, it. you know, it, it's so good you said that because with the, with the bond, you get a better wettability for your actual resin that goes on as well. So that, that that's yeah, wonderful. Uh, next question from Mohammed Adam is solubility of bioceramics question mark. Do they meet the ISO standards? I hadn't even thought about that, but there we are. Um, is there a question mark over the solubility of bioceramics? Uh, did do they meet the ISO standards? Uh, the bioceramic sealers don't are not as, are not as soluble as say zinc oxide eugenol they're actually very very stable and they set in moisture so they're not you know that's why they you know the more drier the canal is in fact the, the irony is it takes much longer for it to actually set so um solubility no it's a stable material it actually expands a little bit so it's actually pretty stable as a material it won't it won't it won't just uh the ones that that are very soluble like is that zinc oxide and the calcium hydroxide based uh, sealers they, they, those ones will dissolve really you know these are the ones you should be worried about but this one no brilliant it's stable stable material Fine. We're going to take two more questions before the end of this group function. Uh, so the next one is from Jag. Hi, Jag. Hope you're doing well, buddy. He says, um, uh, okay, we got one more from Gianmarco. I, I never, let, I, I hate letting him down. He always has good questions. Anyway, uh, Jagdeep says, bioceramic sealers for open APA, apex cases versus your traditional MTA plug. Any opinion on that? Um, I think it's really difficult to manipulate a GP to an open apex. Um, so it's just a lot easier to use something like uh, MTA or bidentine. I find bidentine to be an exceptionally brilliant uh, material for it. Compared to the other materials out there, it's actually quite inexpensive. So using that as a barrier is much, much easier to do and it's much more predictable to do. Uh, and plus, don't forget that down the line, that patient's endo fails. Uh, you've pretty much done the retro prep. You just do the surgery and just shave off a lot. You, know, you don't even have to shave anything off. You just have to clean it all off and you've already got the retro prep ready. So with an open apex, it's just a lot easier to do it that way. Uh, manipulating GP, by the time you put that in and, and down pack it, you might push some through. It just isn't the, the same. So yeah. So traditional MTA is the way to go. Correct. MTA or bi-ceramic putty you can buy or bi-dentine. These are, I think, the way to go.
Brilliant. Uh, I'm going to ask one from, we've got quite a few now, so uh, quick fire round questions for the last six minutes. Uh, Riba uh, Hajo, or maybe Hayo, I don't know, I, I hope it's Hayo because it sounds cooler. Uh, for a young patient, 17 years old, irreversible pitis, doesn't say which tooth, with fully, uh, with, with apex fully formed, is there any special risk for GDPs taken into account or shall I refer to an endo specialist? So, I don't understand that, maybe you understand it better. 17 year old um, patients, irreversible, okay. <laughs> Yeah, if they've got irreversible pulpitis, uh, you've got two options here. If you think you you know you can open it, clean it, and do a pulpotomy, and use something like bulk, you know, biodentine and, and and you know basically a vital pulp therapy case, yeah. If you've got the protocol, but you need the magnification to know whether or not you truly have, uh, you know, the pulp stumps are actually not bleeding because you don't really know. One could bleed, one could be vital, one could be non-vital. So yeah, with with that, if you could send, if you want to save the tooth or do pulp, you know, vital pulp therapy, send it to a specialist. If it's a relatively straightforward root canal treatment, I think you know you should um, you should give it a pretty good go because you also need to learn, right? So you need to learn somehow. Good man, allowing the GDPs to have some cases as well. Thank you. Uh, next question is from uh, Shannon Patel. Shannon says, "What's your method?" No, of Shannon Patel. Patel I hope. Jeez, Shannon Patel. <laughs> I thought you said oh, no, Shannon. Not Shannon Patel. Not Shannon Patel. If it was <laughs> Shannon Patel, he, he, he's definitely trolling you. No, it's not. It's not yeah. Shannon Patel. I know Shannon. Uh, what's your method of sealer placement? Uh, put it on the GP or squirt it in first and then place the cone. Is that for biceramic or is that for H plus? <laughs> uh, why don't you answer for both okay so let's, okay, let's so go for h plus so, and then for biostromic if it's different okay i have h plus i usually will put a little bit over the uh orifice and uh, just a little bit at the very tip of the gp point and i'll just put it in slowly okay not quickly slowly to the working length and that should be pretty much all you need you don't need that much don't put too much because then h plus is quite running you'll just get a massive sealer puff and it's it's quite uncomfortable for the first eight to ten hours it's all all by all sealers Biceramic or otherwise are cytotoxic at the beginning, okay? Some less so than others. So biceramic, not as much as the H plus or zinc oxide junginol. So yeah, not a lot, you just need a little bit, not a lot, you should be fine. And if you use the H plus jet, you don't need any at all. It just literally lights up on your PA. Uh, Biceramic's a little bit different. I usually will fill up the first third, so the coronal third, and then I'll unscrew the top and I'll put the GP point into that and then I'll put it into the canal. And that gives me a little bit more control of the biceramic. Okay, and I'll use Amazing. less material. Okay, that's also very uh, important, uh, economical. Uh, let's see. Um, Wajiha wants you to repeat the name of the burr you use for the removal of GP. Uh, it's, well, you can get a few. Uh, it's called the LN burr, or you can get the Comet Endo burr. Just call the Comet rep; they know which one it is. It comes in either twenty-nine millimeters or thirty-one millimeters. These burrs can be reused over and over again because they're tungsten carbide. Uh, and they're great because you can actually physically see what you're doing. They come in different diameters, so it makes it much, much easier to, to, to look at. They're about 150 pounds. They're not very expensive. I mean, I'll tell you what I do, uh, Amar, and most of the time this isn't successful, but tell me what you think of this technique. I get um, a, a gooseneck fat rosehead burr, right? So a gooseneck being extra long in, in the neck of it, so yep. it can reach down to the, the apex. Uh, and I just put it on really high rev, no water, and I'm just, you know, melt stroke... Um, uh, a blade or, or cut away the GP uh, exactly yeah, yeah. what I want. Uh, is that a slightly risky method? Uh, it should be fine, but just what the only worry is you, you, you could be stripping away a lot, a lot of the pericervical dentine. That's the dent, the few millimeters above the CEJ and a couple of millimeters below. And that, that we know from new studies now coming through for the last maybe few years, you remove a lot of that dentine and then that's the dentine that you can never really replace and that really weakens a multi-rooted tooth, okay? And no material can replace the strength of that area. So. Um, you know, if you want, uh, use something like an Allen burr or use a smaller head and do the same thing, not a big fat head, something a bit in the middle.
Like maybe a size 120 should do the trick. I mean, if okay. anyone's going to be doing this, uh, you know, tomorrow morning, just make sure you got, you know, you should do anyway, but make sure you got decent tug back on your, uh, on your GP oh, yeah. and it's not yeah. like just, <laughs> otherwise it'll just fly at your face. Yeah, you got uh, don't ask me how I know that GP one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. The last question, which we haven't addressed yet, which was from the Instagram, which is what do you do? And it's such a common scenario, am I right? We prep to, let's say F2, F3, Pro Taper, other brands are available uh, and you get your GP cone. And, but it's, you know, your file has been there. Your F2, F3 file has been there to the apex, to the working length, but your GP cone is just not going. It's a couple of millimeters shy. What should you do? Sure. So a couple of things we need to, first, let's, let's just give you a quick science lesson, very quick one, 30 seconds. Uh, all files that we use now are a bit more martensitic than they are austensitic. What does that mean? They're a softer file, they bend. They're not straight and raw, you know, like rigid as before. So what that means is that the, the file itself will create that shape of an F2 or a Wave 1 primary, but it doesn't create it 100% because it's a softer file, okay? And your GP point will always have a little bit of discrepancy as well, okay? So it doesn't fit 100%. So you might have an 07 taper at 2506 or 2507, but it's not 100% 2506, not 100% 2507, okay? So to Correct this problem is two things. One, you might have a, you know the older style GP where it's fitting at the top, so it's a bit fat at the top, thin at the bottom, so it's basically wedging itself at the top. So that's coronal tug back, okay? So check for that by the newer GP points. That's tops you have in that, okay? Second thing is you might have a lot of smear layer in there and, and, and dentine shavings and debris. So you might need to wash that out. So activate the Irrigant or GP pump, which is really cheap, and just liberate all that gunk that's in there. Get some EDTA, it removes the smear layer, dissolves the dentine, and that might be stopping it. It's a bit like Turkish coffee. I don't know if everyone's, anyone's had Greek or Turkish coffee. Coffee's at the bottom, you know, the bit at the top that you drink, and that is, your dentine's that bit at the bottom, that mud. You need to get rid of that, okay? So that's the second point. I love that. Third point is your GP point is sometimes not fitting bang on because it's just not been designed 100% perfectly. So if you're using an 06 taper, buy 04 taper GPs, and that stops you. That means you've got good, apical tug back and it's not tugging back on the actual taper okay on the sides it's tugging back only at the apex and therefore it really fits beautifully at the very very tip you will not get that problem so go a taper shorter not a size shorter a taper shorter so if it's 04 06 buy some 04 tapers you can get that from any shop you know any distributor in the uk we'll get you that and they're not they're not that very expensive Amazing. Really I love that um, analogy of the, the Turkish coffee, actually. That was, that was, that was genius. I, I love that very much. Um, okay, we come to the end of the episode. Just tell us a little bit about um, how we can learn more from you. I really like your sort of style today. I, I like your down to earth <laughs> style. And I just love the fact that you actually, I think you, you understand us as GDPs. Um, obviously, you've got the endo guys. But tell us about a little bit about, because I, I sort of did your intro for you. I'd like to know for those listening a little bit about yourself and what you get up to uh, and, and how we can learn more from you. Um, so basically, I um, I really didn't enjoy endo as an undergrad. I absolutely hated it. I actually had to go and supervise uh, or shadow an endodontist to actually understand the principles. And from that point on, I've always thought, you know, I never understood it. Uh, maybe I was just a bit thick. I don't know. Maybe other people <laughs> understood it better than me. But the long and short of it is I never wanted anyone to feel like that again. You know, I wanted people to get, you know, education, which is relatively cheapish. You know, I don't want people to pay over the odds for courses. I wanted to be accessible for everyone. And me and my friend always had that dream that, you know, we wanted everyone to be able to have, you know, if they want education, they should be able to afford it. You know, I came up with horrendous amounts of debts like everyone else, uh, which I had to pay back. So the endo guys really is a simple concept. We show you our cases. We tell you what went well, what didn't go well, learning points. Uh, we've also got the endo guys Academy that we do with Coltine. Again, it's, you know, we do it for a relatively cheap fees, 250 to 295 pounds a course. And we go through a principle, a protocol. 
So we, we do access cavities, canal location, and one principle on how to get a good coronal, you know, coronal, middle, and apical prep with glide path files. And we just want to show you how you do it well. So that in practice, you could do, you could use any file system you want. And as long as you understand the principle, you should use anything and anything should potentially work. Okay. And that's what we've wanted to do. And that's where that, what the Endo guy stands for, you know, being there for everyone, being accessible for everyone. And being, you know, if you want to text us, phone us, email us, whatever, we'll always get back to you, you know, because we, we, we felt the pain that you guys have gone through. You know, we never understood it till I, I became a specialist. And even till now, I'm sometimes going to work and I'm like, it's damage limitation. I still make mistakes. It's just a matter of, you know, I make maybe less mistakes or I pick the right winners. You know, I don't take every case on. I'm comfortable to say no. Once you learn how to say no, or this tooth is goose, then things become a little bit more liberating. And, and maybe that just comes with experience more than just, just training, you know? And that's what the Endo Guys is all about. They're for everyone, basically. I really appreciate that. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, it's, well, it's just called the Endo Guys. Really easy. It's <laughs> just type that up Fine. and find it. You can follow hey, the Endo guys there. Amar, thanks so much for, for covering that really well. Honestly, I I, I, I'm all, I always worry about doing these short episodes because the answer is usually, to any of these complex questions, the answer is usually, it depends, right? And I'm so glad you didn't say those two words together. You never said once, it depends. So thank you for not saying it depends. But one last thing, because Daz has just asked a really quick, uh, cheeky question. Daz I'd says, for, for the Ellen Burr, slow handpiece or endomotor? Slow handpiece or endomotor for the Ellen Burr? Slow handpiece, slow handpiece, and use the middle. Always start with the middle because it's the middle of the size. It's not too big, not too small. If you find it's too small, go one big. If it's too big, go one small. As simple as that. Keep it simple. Okay. Amazing. Amar, thank you so much for, for coming on yeah, the show pleasure, today. Sir. It'll be on the no, proper podcast so very soon. Uh, and it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me.